All right. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, who are you for the people that I don't know? So my name is Margot McDonald, and I've been working for the Haunted Walk since 2001. I'm a tour guide. I also train their guides. I'm a researcher for them as well and the head of their ghost investigation unit. So uh, do you get like those non-believer types that are just like, this doesn't exist? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I don't have a problem with people being really skeptical about the ghosts. Um, the way that we work at the Haunted Walk is to present you with the stories. Um, we try to interview the people who have had the experiences as much as we possibly can. I mean, obviously a lot of stories are very old legends, but any modern ones. And we just present it with the research that we've done. We don't claim whether we believe it or don't believe mm -hmm. it. We try to say we've we've looked into this we have not been able to explain it here's here's the story and allow you to think what you <laughs> what you want to think what do you personally believe in it like do you for me personally it's like it's kind of hard to to believe in like a god without believing in like some sort of opposite type of entity right like how do you feel about it i feel that well if you ask me do i believe in ghosts I'll, my answer is yes what exactly ghosts are or what the various types of hauntings that are happening are, I think we don't fully understand yet. Are all ghosts the spirits of the dead? I would say no, they're not. I think there are many different types of hauntings. And, and yet there are endless stories of people being visited, say, by the spirit of a relative who has just passed away, but they don't know yet that they're dead or, or those sorts of stories too. But yeah, well, we can talk about the various types of hauntings and <laughs> and my theories. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of them are I I some of them are more for like human amusement, sort of like mm. there's sort of like a thrill to know that like it, you're not entirely like safe. Like, do you know the movie? You know it? The, yeah, the, the, the I, clown. I, I haven't watched it, but I know I know the. <laughs> All right, premise. I'll try not to spoil it, but like, okay, <laughs> there's there's no like like it's pretty unrealistic to think that there's this clown eating kids and stuff yeah. but it, there's still like this sense of thrill to it like you don't know it like you know for sure that it's not real but there's still like this little thought in your head that kind of just goes like maybe yeah exactly uh especially when i was a kid i felt that way about ufos and aliens they they scared me more than say ghosts or anything it's like i guess the idea that you could be snatched away and taken to another planet um was scarier to me than some spirit of a dead person coming uh and haunting a house or something but yes i think there is just something that is human nature maybe it's actually back to our animal nature that instinct of the fight or flight um something in us that responds to fear and i think that's why we love watching scary movies yeah. or we love uh going on a ghost tour or you know participating in paranormal events yeah and i've i think that's why kids are scared of monsters you know yeah because like back like thousands of years ago monsters were like coyotes or yeah. things like if you saw a shadow of something you know you would have to run away or you'd die that's right and now if you see a shadow of it you know you're not gonna die but that sort of fear of it still remains in the mind yes i i agree with you and i think that that's also why you know people are scared of things like spiders because <laughs> probably like thousands of years ago you could die from a spider but this is a very good theory i think that could be absolutely what's going on 
And, you know, the fear of falling off of high places, uh, all of these things make total sense, uh, why we would still be afraid of them inside. And I think for children, yes, it's probably going back to that animal thing of having to be afraid in the night because that is the time when we are vulnerable, when we're sleeping. And maybe that's why a lot of ghostly encounters seem to happen at night too. So uh, does Toronto have a history of, of ghost stories or sort of paranormal type legends? Oh yes. <laughs> I think anywhere in the world that there has been human habitation, you will find ghost stories. Um, and a large city like Toronto, even though it's relatively young as compared to a lot of uh, you know, European settlements. Uh, it's got so many ghost stories that we have, you know, four or five different tours that we give throughout the city. Um, is there one that particularly like that you think has a sort of like realism to it that you could you could be like, this is something that? Well, I have to tell you that um, we started giving ghost tours up at Black Creek Pioneer Village. And right now I'm the host of a new experience that we're offering, an immersive ghost investigation of the halfway house. And it's a very actively haunted place. As well, we're still giving our ghost tours up there, the haunted walk experience. We have had things happening to the tour guides, um, either while we're setting up or locking up the buildings or indeed while we are giving tours with the guests that I have not been able to explain and certainly a lot of my colleagues have had very striking experiences up at Black Creek Pioneer Village. It, it is a village that is a museum but it's made up of buildings that have been taken from wherever they were originally standing all across Ontario and they've you know ripped them out of their natural place and brought them to be forced to become part of this village. So it's sort of like this old-timey town type yeah, thing? Yeah, So it's like it. that, is that a, is that? Yeah, that's a great picture. All right, so if you're listening to this, like, just on the audio, it's this sort of, like, 1920s type, looks like a motel almost. You're close. It's actually 1840s, 1840s. but it is a hotel. It's the Halfway House Stagecoach Inn, and now it sits at Black Creek Pioneer Village. So I think this is probably the original of it. And then they tore this down and brought it to Black Creek Pioneer yeah, Village. Yeah, that's right. So it is the original building, but it's just not standing where it originally stood. It's and it was haunted before it even got to the village, and it has remained haunted ever since. And people are constantly reporting strange things. And now we're doing these uh, <laughs> the, the haunting at Black Creek. Is there like a specific story behind it? There is one particular story that I've yet to experience, but people actually see what we call a full-bodied apparition. So this is a, an apparition of a woman that looks so solid, head to toe, so real. You can see the color of her long, dark hair. You can see the long blue dress that she is wearing. And she's been seen over and over again by people they think they're seeing a real person until suddenly there's some evidence presented that they realize they couldn't have been seeing a living person. Um, she's been seen out on the roadway in front, leaning over the railing of the balcony. She's seen inside the house disappearing as she climbs the stairs. And her presence uh, makes itself known in the building as well in other ways. Now, like, do the people that go on your tours, do they see that as well? 
I've never had anybody actually see her, which is, as I say, I've yet to experience it too. But we definitely have had strange things happen. I had a gentleman on one of my tour groups one night um, spin around all all of a sudden like he expected to see someone behind him. The only thing was there was no one standing behind him, but yet he had been just tapped really hard on his shoulder, so hard that he could still feel the tingling sensation of it. And uh, he was very overcome because he knew he had been tapped on the shoulder and yet he also knew that there had been no one close enough to do it and i saw it happen on on tour on you do have you personally experienced something like that on tour well like a sort of like yeah a few weeks ago i was alone in the halfway house i was just doing some setup and i had been in the kitchen at the back and uh had a look around and walked down the hallway into the front room that's the bar room And all of a sudden I heard a clattering of wood in the kitchen behind me. So I walked all the way back to the kitchen to find that there was this long, thin piece of wood that normally is stuck firmly into the window frame, but it was now lying in the middle of the kitchen floor. And I've tried to debunk this by, okay, well, what if it was leaning this way and so on? The only way that I can get it to move from where I had seen it on the window to the middle of the floor was when I grabbed it with my hand and threw it there. And yet, there had been no one there when this happened. And so that's an example of the type of thing <laughs> that can Whoa. happen there. Um, I should probably put some scary music underneath you this. You definitely should. Yeah. If, there, if, you're listening to, if you're listening to this and there's no scary music, then uh, I probably just got lazy. <laughs> <laughs> right in. Remind him. <laughs> what about the distillery district? Is that like, sort of like a... Is this like by distillery? Is that like an alcohol like type? Yeah, that's exactly right. So you should really wander over there and take a look. It's a fabulous place now. Um, so the historic distillery district in Toronto is just to the east of the downtown. And it, at its height, this was the largest distiller in the world. They made whiskey and and also, you know, things like rubbing alcohol and things like that. Um, but originally it was for alcohol that you drank. And it began in 1831. James Wirtz and his brother-in-law, William Gooderham, joined together to make uh, Gooderham and Wirtz Limited. So today what you have, the distillery closed in the 1990s. It became a film set. You, you'll still catch sight of it in many films and television shows. But now it's just a fabulous place to wander around for an afternoon. It's full of restaurants and shops, and uh, they've got the still the old brick um paving stones and the brick buildings have been restored but the whole place is incredibly haunted you walk around and talk to some of the people who work in the shops and businesses there and the restaurants they will tell you time and time again about times that they've experienced things moving sounds um, even seeing the apparition of a person shadow figures um, even some ghost cats and uh and, you know, a lot of people who live or work there now just say, well, it's just part of living here. But there are so many stories about this place that we have a tour that's the uh, Ghosts and Spirits of the Distillery District tour so that you can you can get a full under, fuller understanding of just how haunted a location it is. So I think maybe that there might be a factor of like alcohol involved with some of these don't you think that maybe alcohol has a play in some of these stories? Do you mean that people are drunk when they experience it? Yeah, that's kind of... Well, let's say that there 
certainly are stories that I think you can explain that way. But there are overwhelming amounts of stories that have no alcohol, no drugs, nobody sound asleep, um, or when it happens or anything like that. So then this is what I mean by we try to stick to the stories that we haven't been able to explain that the person we've talking to, are, we're not out for a night drinking. And certainly in the distillery, the stories that have occurred have happened to people when they're closing up their shop at the end of their work shift. They're certainly, you know, not drunk when they've experienced it. But that being said, I think people do sometimes, you know, maybe let their imaginations run away with yeah. them. But we try not to include those stories on our tours. Yeah, I can guess you're probably someone that probably doesn't get like scared easily, right? Like if you watch it, if you watch a horror movie, you're probably like, no, nah, this is this is nothing. Well, for me, know? what gets me is like, <laughs> like if I watch something like it too, like I'll be like, like maybe like the night after I'll be a, a little spooked. Yeah. But it it's not like realistic, right? But if I watch a horror movie and at the end it says, based on a true story. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'll be like, no. No, I agree with you. And the, the thing is, um, on our tours, we tell them right away, we don't make up these stories. We find them by doing research and by interviewing the people who had these things happen to them. And so we rely on that true life experience of the people who, who it happened to or stories that have more than one witness or some other compelling evidence to back them up. And to me, that is more frightening than the sort of tour where they have people jump out at you or things like that, yeah. because it's you have that idea in your mind like this could happen to me. That being said, I am able to maintain calm, especially if I'm leading a group and something happens. However, you know, when I travel, I will deliberately go and stay in hotels that have a reputation to be haunted and so on. And before I turn the lights out, I'm very brave. And I'm like, yes, I hope I'm going to see this ghost tonight. But then sometimes I'll, you know, wake up in the night. and I'll keep my eyes closed. And I'll be like, oh, please don't let there be a ghost in my room. Please don't let there be a ghost. So I guess I'm brave on and off. I always tell people that I am more than happy to be haunted as long as it is not in my own home or somewhere where I'm trying to get a good night's sleep. So you like the thrill of it? I do. Yeah. More than anything, I'm, I like trying to figure out just what it is. I mean, with the masses of evidence that we have and, you know, especially now that, you know, ghost hunting has become so popular over the past decade or so, that there's so much ex personal experience, so much evidence. Something is definitely happening. But what it is, I don't know that we can understand fully right now. Maybe someday science, quantum mechanics, physics will get to a place that we'll be able to be like, ah, I see we're um, time slipping here just for a moment. We're on a slightly different timeline or something like that. Maybe in some cases it is the spirits of the dead. But there are theories to things that some people call residual hauntings, where it seems when something has happened in a building that has a strong emotional impact, it's like the building itself or the stones of a place or the the fabric a building is made of actually retains the energy of that like a memory almost and some people seem to be able to tap into that energy and others don't you have examples of there being a group of say 10 people and three people are witnessing something happening and the other like a ghost walking across the room but the others just don't see it so that's something we don't understand too is what's the psychology 
or the ability for some people to experience a haunting where others don't. There's just so much we don't know. And that's what I find fascinating. And that's that's why I continue to research and continue to go put myself in these haunted buildings. No, and another reason I think it's so fascinating is because we live in like a society where everything's just so safe and there's all these protocols and it's like nothing we've ever known before. Like if you go back even 50 years, there's probably like a lot less regulations on everything. Yeah. But now we're in a we're in this place where like there's literally like n- very little bad that can happen to you so when you you start to we start to sort of we, we we need some of that for like i think we need some of that for for enjoyment almost or like there there needs to be like a, a specific quota of like something bad could happen because if you're just always in the situation where you, like you're in a bubble and you're always protected like i think that doesn't that leads to like a very boring life <laughs> yeah we need adventure we need More than anything, I think we need to have our assumptions shaken. I think in every way. I think the moment we become complacent and think that we understand everything, we know everything, our life is always the exact same routine over and over and over again, then I think this is where people uh, will suddenly have, you know, what they maybe like those midlife crises or or some sort of uh, like where they just need to break out of that routine that they will seek out some way to shake things up or they become very, very small, right? And we need things that remind us that we, (laughs) yeah, that we aren't always, we aren't always safe. We don't always know exactly what's going on around us. And I think when you have something like a sudden ghostly activity happening somewhere, Trust me when I say that when you experience something paranormal, you can tell right away because your body and your brain react in a way that it doesn't when it's something fake or it's something that a minute later you're like, oh gosh, that was just, you know, the cat or, or something like that. But I've had several experiences and and I can tell the difference between the ones where it's probably just something natural that spooked me and the ones where it's like I really felt like I was not alone for those minutes or something like that. What does it feel like? Hmm. Your body, <laughs> like for me, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but for me, it's like my whole body it buzzes with this kind of energy. My stomach gets really tense and like, uh, you know, as if you're standing on the edge of a, a cliff. And and um it's like my brain really wakes up to its full capacity of because it wants to try to explain what has gone on like when i walked into that kitchen and saw that stick lying on the ground i got that feeling but because i believe we have a responsibility as ghost investigators um to try to debunk or explain. Or just be more skeptical than the average To be person. more skeptical, yes. So it might, even though I had that feeling all over and uh, that I had felt before and was like, okay, uh, this, <laughs> this is weird. I immediately picked it up and started trying to debunk it. When I came back the following week, I tried some more ways to try to debunk it. In my head, there's always that, you know, 3% possibility that I haven't yet figured out how it fell on its own. But the rest of me and the reaction I immediately felt when I walked into that room, it's like there's a different energy in the air. And uh, and I felt it before um, 
and and in this case it was like uh, I can trust the feeling of my of my senses but I shouldn't allow that to get in the way of actually trying to get evidence for this you know so yeah do you have any stories based off of like murders Oh, uh, there are so many stories based off of murders. One of Toronto's most fa famous stories comes from University College at the University of Toronto. We do have the campus uh, Spectres and Spirits um, tour with that of the University of Toronto. So University College was being built in the 1850s, and there were two men who were hired to be stonemasons to do the beautiful carving that you find on the building. And one of them was a Russian named Ivan and one was a Greek man named Paul. And they uh, were hired at the same time. They met and became friends. They were working together. And Ivan eventually introduced Paul to his uh, fiance, this beautiful young woman. And then immediately he began to get jealous. He was convinced that Paul had fallen in love with his girl and you know he started sneaking around following them and then one day he saw Paul and his fiance sitting on a bench together and they were holding hands and oh, no. I know and and uh, immediately Ivan picked up an axe and started chasing Paul they ran towards the tower of University College um, Ivan threw the axe at Paul's head who got the door to close just in time so you can still today see the the axe mark in the oh. door they run up the tower uh when ivan gets to the top he's like he's looking around where is paul where is paul and all of a sudden he's hit at the, from behind he goes flying off the tower and he falls to his death at the base of the tower paul uh disappeared the next day but because it was still a construction site uh, he buried his body at the base of the tower. Now, how do we know this story when Paul disappeared and Ivan was dead? Well, that's because in the late 1800s, there was a student of University College who was walking back to his dorm one night, and he saw this bearded man sitting on the steps of the tower who was shivering. He introduced himself as Ivan Resnikov, and, uh, and he said, I, I have a story I'd like to tell you this young student said well you're freezing come up to my room we'll have a drink together and as they're having this glass of whiskey Ivan told his story to the student including the part of and then I died and as soon as he finished telling the story he disappeared so of course when the student told his friends they all thought oh he's drunk he's you know he's losing it oh, he's... but the axe mark yeah so this is the thing the student went and researched. He found the axe mark. He then went looking in the archives and found a photograph of the stonemasons. And in the names, there was Ivan and there was Paul. Of course, he hadn't known any of this before. He had only told, been telling the story to his friends. And when they didn't believe him, he went and did the research. Well, not only that, but later on, there was a big fire in that tower. And in the reconstruction, they were digging around the base and they found a belt buckle and some human bones that some people believe must have belonged to Ivan. How long ago after what did he come across Ivan? Oh, it was in the late 1800s, so it was maybe 40, 50 years later. Yeah, it's a great story. And I do recommend you go to University College. And you'll, you'll see the axe You'll mark? find a wooden door that still has pre been preserved with the axe mark to this day. That's crazy. Right? <laughs> it's, it's like if I saw that in real life, I'd probably be like, way more scared than I would be from a uh, crazy clown. Yeah, 
Exactly. Um, definitely there's a difference between the type of horror movies or stories that are simply made to provoke that fear response in us that you've been talking about and the stories that have actually happened to people. Um, sometimes the stories that have actually happened to people are wilder than the ones in the in the TV and movies, but sometimes it's the very fact that the same sorts of experiences have happened to a great number of people over a long period of time, even though it's smaller than, than say the story I just told you, but it's the, it's the bulk of that evidence. It's the, how many people have experienced it and it still hasn't been explained. And that's what it's interesting as well. I've noticed too, that it's, it's almost always the victims you see of something that happened that kind of comes back as like a ghost. Yeah, I think perhaps when somebody has been violently killed or been killed in a in a violent accident of some kind or died in a state of uh of great distress of one way or another that maybe maybe they can't move on from, you know, people will say that the spirit of that person can't move on from this realm of existence until somehow their story is resolved. Suppose they're, they're finally able to find one person who can actually hear them to hear their story, or perhaps they need someone to do something for them in order to be able to be fully at rest. And this is a, a generally accepted theory throughout the world. And there's also this thing with sort of like, I, I think we tend to associate age with with sort of with ghosts or like paranormal activity because like could you imagine hearing a story that someone like died from a shock from an iphone and you that know, was that was sort of like a like a story that people would tell it's gonna happen <laughs> i mean we already have ghosts you know from the 70s from the and 80s area. there's yeah exactly um it's just that People always say, why are the ghosts always dressed in Victorian clothing? And they're certainly not. The thing is that we hear more of the older stories because they've been around longer. More people have experienced the haunting. And so the story is told more often and more often. So that's why some of our most famous ghosts or the stories that we know best are the ones that have been around since the Victorian era. I mean, uh, when you're talking about European settlement in Canada, it only really started, you know, uh, to be populous with uh, cities and so on in the 1800s. And so most of our stories date from the, that time period or or 1920s or up to now. But there are definitely stories of um, people wearing 1970s clothing um, or 1950s clothing. And I really think you will soon, if there aren't already, we just maybe not maybe we don't we see them and we don't realize they're ghosts because they're dressed in the clothing same of ours and they're holding their cell phone you know what I mean whereas if you see if you look up and see a woman in old-fashioned Victorian clothing you're gonna look again because why is that woman there wearing that clothing right like it'll stick out to you more oh like probably someone from like 500 500 years from now yeah they'll see someone with the iPhone and they'll be yeah. like why, why do you have an iPhone? Yeah, it's weird to think <laughs> about it that way, isn't it? But it's absolutely true. Things that were normal back then, but to us today, are triggering us to understand that something weird is going on because it doesn't fit within what we what we normally see. I do kind of understand why some non-believers or non-believers, like the purely like scientific like type people, but I don't know how many of those people would be willing to like take annabelle over to their home for, you know annabelle the doll <laughs> yeah i do yeah for like a for like a night or something like that because right? like the actual doll is like in a in like a glass box hidden in like this yeah like 
haunted like store type thing and they have to have, like have a priest come every year and like bless it or something yeah i mean it's interesting isn't it on the back of our the t-shirts that that we we sell the haunted walks um they've got our little logo on the front but on the back it has a quote from a man from the 1700s in france and uh, it's it says do i believe in ghosts no but i am afraid of them <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's often the case like would you take that risk to bring Annabelle into your own home? Or, you know, I, I guess I take the risk of staying in places that I know are haunted, but that's not my own home. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that there are a lot of people, as you say, that although 100% skeptical would, when confronted with something like that, respond with, well, but why take the risk? You know, <laughs> why take the risk? Yeah. Um... I just, thank God I don't go to UT. That's for one. Right. <laughs> I I think that um. My bad. I lost the train. I lost my train of thought. That's okay. So at the haunted walk, we uh, we do tours not only in Toronto, but it it we also do tours in Ottawa and Kingston, Ontario too, and then we have special tours at the Mackenzie King Estate in the Gatineau Hills, and we've got uh, special tours at the Upper Canada Village that's in Morrisburg, Ontario, and. Uh, over the many years that I've been working for the company and doing the research, it's it's amazing to me how you can live in a city. I'm originally from Ottawa and uh, uh, only uh, four years ago moved to Toronto, but how you can live in a city and there's so much you don't know about it. You can be living in a building forever before you hear the first ghost story about it. And uh, for me, I'm a bit uh, I'm a bit proactive about that. I will actively go out and try to find out if there's anything haunted about any of the buildings I'm connected with. But uh, I think it's I think it would be surprising to people to learn just what is going on in the in the dark realm of the city that they're in what's the uh what's the craziest story you ever heard or have ever told oh one of the most frightening stories that i know happened to a good friend of mine um i i won't get into the great details because i don't yeah. have his permission to tell you right now but um but it did involve uh, he and his roommate having nightmares the same night uh, but not realizing it and then finally one walks out of his bedroom to see the other sitting in the living room and he's like i have to tell you about the crazy dream i had and the other person was like no i have to tell you about my dream turned out they were having the exact same type of dreams and it and they involved um, a man hanging uh, by his neck from the light fixture and the fact is that they lived in a place that whenever they brought anybody over they always felt uncomfortable people would stop re refusing to stay the night and they had so many strange experiences in that place that they left it and they actually uh, later on her overheard um, a couple of young women talking in a bar and they were talking about this new apartment they had moved into and how their boyfriends would always refuse to stay the night because they always had nightmares and my friend turned to them and said is your apartment this address and they said yes and it turned out oh. it was exactly the same case but that's crazy yeah <laughs> and uh for me um in Ottawa, my first kind of major experience of a, of a ghost was in the Bytown Museum in Ottawa. And this is one of the stories told in, in uh, Ghosts of Ottawa from the Files of Haunted Walk, in which I have a couple of stories. But 
this one was the first time I ever experienced anything that I could not deny. And I was closing up the Bytown Museum one night with three of my colleagues. We had just looked through the whole building. We were completely alone. We went down and uh, three of us stood by the front door. My other colleague went over to set the security alarm. Um, and we went quiet as soon as he started punching in the numbers. And we could clearly hear the sound of footsteps walking across the empty floor above our heads. And it was, you know, very distinct sound of heavy booted feet walking across that wooden floor. I thought, is it just my imagination? You know, so I looked at the people next to me and they both were obviously reacting to the same sound. And all of a sudden we hear from the colleague who's setting the alarm and he said, uh, did you just see that? And we ran out of the building. Um, but when we, my colleague was actually um, too scared to move. Uh, he was frozen and calling out, please don't leave me, come, come back. So I went and got him. And when we all talked about it, turned out that he was having a different experience at the same time. So the three of us standing inside the front door heard that sound of the footsteps. But um, my other colleague was seeing this wooden door in front of him shaking. He had just closed it himself and it began to shake slowly and then went faster and faster and faster. Uh, and that is an experience that Whoa. none of us have ever been able to explain. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I yeah, you can't explain that other than... no. Have you ever gotten sleep paralysis? I had once. Did you? I get it pretty occasionally. Oh, so it's I, terrifying. Yeah, so I have to, like, I have to sleep, like, facing my wall rather than facing my door. Right. Because I know that, like, my, my mind will come up with something way crazier if I'm looking at the door versus just looking at the wall. Wow. Because if I look at the wall and I get sleep paralysis, well, so, like, my body's, like, paralyzed. But my mind thinks I'm awake. So it'll come up with these crazy hallucinations and I, I tend to always get one where it's just like this sort of like dark figure like this dark figure with and it's like I, it's a girl because her hair is long mm. and just it's just screaming at loud volume and then I'll just like and I'll have to like force myself to sort of like wake up and I have to I have to continue to look at it because I know that if I fall asleep, if I close my eyes then it'll turn into a dream that I probably can't escape until i actually wake up that's terrifying and then uh, as soon as i actually like jolt my body out of it it become it, it goes away but yeah it, it's uh it, it's it's interesting that the mind knows that that is scary to you like it's interesting that the mind can come up with something that will scare you yeah because that's something that the brain makes like the hallucination of so, like people have had sleep paralysis like since forever and they it's always been sort of this scary type thing like ghosts or like a, a demon or a monster but it'll, it'll always be something that scares you so it's like the the your subconscious mind is like aware of things that frighten you yeah it's true and our dreams do come from our subconscious mind it's perhaps not surprising that one part of your brain, you know, will work work hard to to frighten the other part of your brain. Um, but sleep paralysis is is something that perhaps can explain some experiences people have had. Um, like I said, I only experienced it once, and I didn't really know what it was for the longest time. I thought it was this extremely um, 
evil, dark, well, you thought it was like paranormal a, a, a real like Yeah. So in mine, it was not a woman, but it was a uh, it was a very tall man, all in black long coat, black tall hat, who was coming down the hallway of my apartment building at the time, and you know, trying to open the door and trying to open the door and this sort of thing, and um, and at some point I woke up, but I had that paralysis; I couldn't move, and you know, was trying my best to sort out whether I was hearing something real or was it from my dream and so on. Um, it was only decades later that I found out about paralysis, sleep paralysis, and figured out, oh, that's what I had. So for someone like me who only experienced it once, sadly, unlike you, you sadly, sadly has to experience sadly. it a lot. That's really sad. Um, but, you know, some people only experience it once. And maybe they wouldn't recognize that's what it is. But that being said, it's only one possible explanation for a lot of things that people experience in the night. What's the deal with the the elect the EMF reader type thing? The electromagnetic yeah. field readers. Yeah. So here's the theory behind that: um, that there is an idea that the electromagnetic field is in the air around us all the time, right? Like our bodies even produce some uh, electronic equipment produces a lot, um, and even batteries and and things like cell phones and so on produce a little bit. The idea is that when there is paranormal activity taking place, often there is a sudden increase in the EMF field in that area where it's taking place. Or like this is where you get the idea of battery drains, for example, that batteries are suddenly drained and then something happens. I've seen it on Ghost Hunters. Right. Yeah. So they use these little EMF readers to see if there is an increase. And then what they try to do is, you know, is anything else happening? We do this in the the new experience I was telling you about the haunting at Black Creek. It is a ghost investigation that you that the group gets immersed in. I take them on through the building. EMF readers is something that we use. Of course, they weren't made for ghost hunting, right? They were made originally for contractors to be able to see if there were live wires in the walls. But ghost investigators have been using them for many decades now, and there does seem to be a certain amount of evidence. So, that have you like personally experienced like something where? something happens like you see something happen and that correlates with like a yeah reading. usually what happens is the emf reader goes off first or what's called a spike like it goes into the red light so you have green yellow red so it'll go all the way up to red a spike on your emf reader when and then something will happen it's almost like the spirit gathers energy and like makes something happen then again if you are living in a place or there is a building that has an unusually high EMF reading for whatever reason, like say there's old equipment or furnishes, furnaces or something, um, that can cause you to have experiences that feel paranormal. But that if you get that equipment fixed or removed, then you will stop having those experiences. So it's an interesting thing because the EMF can be on both sides of the fence. It, is it causing the paranormal activity or is the AMF something that if there are spirits there that they can use um, to manifest themselves? So if you're living in a place that has high EMF of an unnaturally high level constantly, you might start having hallucinations, you might start having sleep paralysis, or it can even cause things like um, upset stomach, skin rashes, and things like that. 
So what you want to do when you're investigating is take a baseline reading of the EMF around and then watch to see if there's sudden unexplainable spike in it. It can often correlate with paranormal activity happening. Do you think things like the Ouija board are real? Hmm. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Because <laughs> I think it's just the person sliding. <laughs> like, Yeah. There's something called um, idiomotor uh movements, right? So this is uh, where small movements of the body that you're not even conscious that you're doing. Some people will explain the movement of a Ouija board with that, that yes, you are very lightly having your fingers on the planchette. But that doesn't explain why sometimes it makes words. Exactly what I was going to say. And and sometimes, you know, um, people have had experiences with them that it's very difficult to explain by just idiomotor movements. Um, which is why we keep experimenting with them. Do I believe that they're evil? No. Um, do I believe that it's, it has a dangerous potential? I think anything is potentially dangerous, depending on how you use it, right? And the energy of the people who are using it. So I've seen some really interesting things happen with Ouija boards that I... Like what? Well, just, you know, you're asking questions uh, with a group in an investigation or something, and the answers you are getting um, are answers that could not be known by the group, but that we know later from doing research or things like that. There have been some really interesting moments with Ouija boards. Other times you feel like, well, this could be people fooling themselves or whatever. But uh, I do find them interesting enough that I keep experimenting with them in the investigations. What about those people that charge money to talk to like a dead relative or something? Well, here's the thing. I think that there, there are a lot of people out there who are genuinely trying to help people, that they, they do have a gift or at least firmly believe that they have a gift for communicating with the spirits on the other side. People pay money to try to talk to a dead loved one. There are other people out there who are definitely... Like it's just a cash grab? Yeah. And, you know, I don't have a problem with someone who is genuinely trying to help someone that you give this exchange where I give you money and you help me communicate with a dead loved one. If that is is a pleasant experience and it helps me feel better... Um. But there are people out there who you need to be a bit careful who you go to. There, there are people who are not going to give you um, a good experience and some who, who are n perhaps not as, uh, as conscientious about it. But I believe for the most part, people who are offering services like that are genuinely trying to help and trying to use their gifts to help people. I don't have a problem with people reaching out to try to find some comfort. Just don't become dependent on it. Yeah. You know. Thank you for uh, coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, where can people go to book a tour? They can book a tour through our website, hauntedwalk.com. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you.